We've been, uh, this last year, in a series that we uh, have called, t- uh, entitled Called Out, uh, and it's that God is calling us as his people out of all sorts of things, uh, out of darkness, out of our sin, out of uh, bondage to things, um, and uh, in that, we, we've already looked at three different seasons of this uh, series, and the first part was looking at contrary voices, uh, the things that kind of push against against uh, the voice of God, culture, uh, maybe our own narrative of life uh, that we uh, have rolling around in our heads, maybe your family growing up and just uh, that, uh, that story or possibly uh, the voices of uh, people in your, in your past, contrary voices to the voice of God. But then we, we, we kind of transition from that to look at that sense where God is a God who speaks, where he is speaking to his people. He defines life, his word and his voice uh, lets us know what does life look like in this world. So contrary voices on one side, God's voice on the other, even in the book of Hebrews, uh, hearing that and seeing that theme. And then before Christmas, we looked at the idea of the body of Christ that those of us who are uh, known by Jesus, who are connected to Jesus, are not merely connected to him only. You are also, by nature, connected to his people. Uh, We are uh, parts of his body, all connected to him as the head. And so, uh, but then we we ended up at Christmas looking at the, the, the idea that Jesus is the coming king. He is the one who rules. He is the one who defines life. He broke into this world because uh, the world had rebelled against uh, God. And so, what does that then lead us to coming out of him as a king is uh, that we would be ones that live in this world and we take the kingdom of God to people around us. That the kingdom shows up tangibly because we live as his people. In a sense, we're joining God on his mission for the world. And so this next uh, many, uh, many weeks, as we even uh, kind of look towards us moving to the new property, we're going to look at that idea of the kingdom. What is it for us to be called out of the world, but yet we remain in the world so that we might see the kingdom of God expand? And, uh, and so we're going to go back to the passage that we started this series on, and we're going to pick up a phrase that we didn't look uh, very intently on a year ago, and we're going to do that today. So if you would, would you stand as we, uh, just so I want to express our submission to the Word of God, He's speaking, and we want to hear. So First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, be in our midst. Would you speak to us by your word? God, I pray that in any way that our lives are not surrendered and in submission to you, Father, I pray by your Spirit that you would restore that. God, you are our King and we are your people. Father, when we try to be kings of our own life and rulers of our own life, everything goes haywire. So, Father, what is, what is it that we are yours, that we are uh, 
underneath your salvation and, and we are called as your people, Father, what would life look like? And what do you call us to be in this world? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, please be seated. So over uh, Christmas break, we went to St. Louis to be with Linda's family, and, and we didn't do a whole lot other than hang out with family and all that. One thing we did do was go to uh, a concert of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, okay? Uh, that is an interesting cross-section of culture. Uh, uh, my brother-in-law joked that it was the only thing that he could recall that was both sponsor, sponsored by both the Hard Rock radio station and the Hallmark Channel. Uh, and, uh, and so you put those two things together, you get a really interesting musical style. Um, probably worth going once, maybe not twice. Uh, and, um, but, but the first half, before they started blowing stuff up, their words, not mine, um, uh, was, uh, was this sense where uh, they were trying to tell this story of meaning and nostalgia, and they had this narrator, and Quite honestly, I have no idea what the story was about. Uh, even though they unashamedly sang about Jesus, and even redemption, they didn't shy away from it at all. They they sang through it. But the the story was, the, I think, trying to evoke this experience or this feeling of of warmth, of meaning. But I sat there and just was like, man, this is so hollow. There is for for an hour. It's like there was nothing in this story. Nothing at all. And I, I was just thinking through that, that the, the story of Christmas or the story of life without God is truly meaningless. Uh, and I'm not meaning to be a downer, but even uh, atheists, famous atheists of our time, Friedrich Nietzsche, kind of the leader uh, uh, and kind of the one that said, God is dead, uh, he wrote this in, in a book that he was entitled uh, Twilight of the Idols. He wrote about those people who would want to throw away the Christian faith, but yet keep Christian morality. Does that make sense? So this is an atheist talking about people who want to get rid of the Christian faith, but yet want the manner of life to stick around. He called them this. He said, they are odious windbags of progressive optimism. Here's the thing. At least he's being honest. If you hold the conclusion that God is dead, there is no meaning to anything. It is just a series of random events and, and all of this. And if you try to keep morality or any kind of standard of life uh, Nietzsche would call you an odious windbag. You can, you can consider that for yourself. But I think the point is there that, that life without God has no purpose. And, and uh, yet it feels like so many in our world, even God's people at times, try to live life and find joy in life, fulfillment in life, uh, in, in experience or in uh, achievement or in some kind of uh, anything else other than knowing God. And the reality is, is there is nothing beyond that. Because anything we try to create falls short. 
And so this passage is kind of pushing us in a direction. And we looked at the identity last year of what God declares us to be. But today I want to talk about purpose. I want to talk about where that drives us in terms of purpose. And that the work of God gives purpose to our lives. And uh, so the new identity is espoused in the beginning of verse 9, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Okay, and, and but yet, I don't want to necessarily camp there. I want to camp on the idea of a new purpose, that God's purpose in this world has become our purpose in this world. What he says defines my life. What he calls me to is where I find life myself. And so as I read that the identity portion, I, I want you to hear that all of that is the work of God. Okay, we are a chosen race. It's God's work to pursue us. We are a royal priesthood. We are under God's rule in God's reign. A priesthood that we would share in what Jesus has already done. A holy nation. Just think back over your last week. That's somewhat laughable if holiness is based on your record. Holiness, that only through the holiness of God granted to us would we ever be termed holy. And we are a people belonging to God because he has drawn us. That's who we are, but it is, that's who we are because of the work of God. It is not that you dressed yourself up and God said, wow, I really like that in your mind. No, God saw his enemies while we were still in our sin. God pursues us. So it's the work of God to do all these things, but why does he give us that new identity? If you, are, if you have faith in Christ, you have a new identity, but why? For what purpose did God do that? Obviously, it's to glorify uh, himself, but in verse 9, what's the so that? Verse 9, the first part, you're all these things, chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God chose us, God saved us, God called us so that we would declare his praises. His work changes why I live. Uh, it, it's, it's the, we, we've talked about this a bunch, but it's, it's the what is true always precedes what to do. Okay, that's not original to me. I stole that from somebody. But, or the, in, the indicative, the what is, precedes or comes before the imperative or the commands of God. It's what God has done always comes before what we are called to do. You are these things, Peter says, so that you may proclaim his goodness. So what's that word proclaim? So in a culture in that time, the, the, this Greek word for proclaim um, used by Socrates, it carried this sense of declaring something that was maybe even hidden or secret. Okay, it's to take something not known and to bring it into the light. Other authors of the time uh, used it to extol somebody's mighty works or to uh, make an official announcement about something. So you kind of put all that together. It's this public announcement of something that is not yet known. And so God works so that we might make known 
what is unknown to people around us, which are the excellencies of God. Isaiah 43, verse 21, uh, says this as God describes his people. They are the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. The reality is there is no other good for us than in us reflecting the glory of God. We were created for it. We were created to walk with God, to know him, to find our being in him. And yet then, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, they decided, you know what, we have a better idea. We're going to take matters into our own hands. And humanity has been doing that ever since. But we were created uh, for the glory of God. And God has brought us to himself that we might declare his praise. And so there's this uh, other sense of just in the proclamation, but the second half of verse 9, you know, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That idea of marvelous light, we did look at this last year, but let's just remind ourselves, that idea of marvelous um, has the sense of something that's just utterly wonderful and amazing. Uh, the, The sense of just astonishment and awe. You know, in the Gospels, it was used in relationship to the, the miracles of Jesus, his miraculous work. And uh, this word, you know, the, the marvelous or wonderful, amazing things were, were used to describe the effect of the miracles on the spectators. This was their fallout. This is how they re- responded. When Jesus calms the storm, uh, the, the men or the apostles marveled, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him. Their marveling was this word, just this awe over who God is, and it was an awestruck wonder. So we were watching um, some show yesterday, I don't even remember what it was, but the advertisement broke in uh, of uh, something on the Food Network, and it was one of those like restaurant rehab shows, you know, where Robert Irvine goes in, and he has a limited budget, and he goes in and just rehabs this restaurant that was doing terribly. Well, this guy had been uh, running his restaurant for 30 years, and um, just a sweet man, and, and Robert asked him, how much debt do you have on your business? And just you know, kind of head down, he said he had $350,000 of debt on his business. And you could just feel the burden of of running something, his life's work, yet he needed to continue to borrow to keep it going, and he knew he had no way out of it. And of course, you know, they cut to the the reveal of the transformation. Spoiler alert, it all works out. But, um, uh, But they cut to that, and And basically, you know, they reveal this restaurant and just completely rehabbed. And this man just burst out in tears. Like, weep, like, you know, like, wow, can't even speak kind of crying. He was overwhelmed by what had been given to him. And, you know, my poor girls, you know, it's like, hit pause. Because that is the response to grace. When we receive grace grace, when we receive God's goodness, when we receive a gift, when we know we were powerless and we could not affect anything on our own, we were completely unable, and yet something has been done for us, that is the response to grace. This man was just in awe of what had been done for him. I can't believe it. Well, that's grace. 
Are you filled with awe? Are you filled with the awe of who God is and what he has done so that we might proclaim it as the thing that we love to talk about more than anything else? That the work of God in our lives changes the way we see life and changes what we live for. And that's what we love talking about. It's New Year's. It's the beginning of 2020. It sounds weird to even utter those words. And we're seeking to reorient our lives, to get organized. We probably bought new planners. Uh, You're going to chart a new path. You're going to start a new diet plan. You've broken your resolutions already on the 5th of January. You just said, you know what, I'm not even going to make any because I'm just going to break them. But, you you know, you're saying, this year I'm going to do what I meant to do last year. Yep, we're going to get our lives together. And, and many a times I would say that these, these pursuits are an attempt to gain some sort of meaning or some sort of fulfillment in life. Some sort of just something we can be involved in or some sort of organization that will say, you know what, I, I, you know, life is working out for me. Tim Keller in a tweet a long time ago, he, he said this, if we take our meaning in life from our family, our work, our, a cause, or some achievement other than God, they enslave us. It's interesting. We seem to chase after all these experiences and achievements, yet if that's what we derive meaning from, we are enslaved to the experience or the accomplishment. And so if that's the danger of what it is to pursue purpose, purpose, uh, Oz Guinness comes in his book, The Call, and he says this, we are not primarily called to do something or to go somewhere. We are called to someone. And so in a, in a world that is driven by hyper achievement and success, and if you do well, that, that's what matters, I think we all even need to hear, especially those who know Christ, That we are not called to something, but we are called to know someone, and that is King Jesus. And that's why when we think about purpose, our purpose in life, if you know Jesus and have experienced his overwhelming grace, our, uh, the call in life, what we live for, our very purpose is to shine the spotlight on Jesus. The church uh, that uh, Linda and I um, got married in back in St. Louis, that this is their, uh, their, mo- their church motto, that we shine the spotlight on Jesus. Not on them, but on him. And I think that is our, uh, our call, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him that we would shine the spotlight on Jesus. And what are we going to shine it on is one aspect is just his renown. Uh, and, you know, the word here is excellencies. Uh, what, what is, what's wrapped up in that is his valor, his virtue, his merit. Uh, let's go bigger than that. His glory, his splendor, his majesty, his fame. Uh, just that, that everything in us would want to make him known. So Linda sent me uh, an article this past week, um, an article from the Gospel Coalition written by Scotty Smith. And he, he was writing on, uh, this pas- uh, on a passage from Jeremiah, which I think captures this, that we are now saved so that we might reflect the renown 
and valor and manner or uh, merit of Jesus. Jeremiah 9 says this, says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let him who boasts boast in this, that you know and understand God, that you would know him. Uh, and, and, and so not in our wisdom, our strength, our ability, our wealth, or our abundance. Our purpose in life is found in his glory and his renown. Oswald Chambers says it this way, that our, the greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. What he's saying is, he's, what he's not saying is don't do anything. <laughs> but what he is saying is we are so prone to do things and think that's where we derive meaning. We even serve Jesus in an effort to derive meaning and we forget him altogether. It becomes more about us than about him. We find our purpose in knowing and understanding the steadfast love and justice and righteousness of God. And so we, we live to make known and proclaim his renown, but we live uh, in those things under his redeeming work. We shine the spotlight on his redeeming work. Uh, did you catch that last part? We're going to proclaim his excellencies, the, uh, the excellencies of him, the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are called out of something and you are placed into something. Colossians 1 says you are de delivered or rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the son that he loves, the kingdom of light. Uh, uh, rescued from rebellion against God to submission to him. And what's wild is that uh, so many people who know Christ are resistant to surrender their whole lives to him. It's not just we live to proclaim his goodness, but that's when we talk about obedience. Is my life, does it match God's word? He speaks, his voice defines my life. Is my life in line? It's not that he wants to keep us in, in a box and, kind of, and, and control our lives. and He wants our best because our best is found in him, in him alone. And so he shows that in his character, but he also displays that in his redeeming work. And so when we see our life not lining up with God's word, the move, even before changing your life, is to repent and surrender yourself again to Jesus. Because it's when we are out of line, that's why he went to the cross. Not just that we had a misstep, but that we were in rebellion against him. We said, God, we have a better way. God, we want to be king. God, you're holding out on us. And we rebel and go our own way, and that's what sent Jesus to the cross. He dies for our rebellion, for our arrogance, for our thinking that we are God, 
so that we might be restored into the relationship of knowing him. So when you see your life not lining up, fall on your knees before God. Soften your heart before him so that through heart change, a change in behavior flows out of that. What God is doing drives different behaviors. Uh, and, and, and so w- when we see the redeeming work of God, we are just awestruck in, in an understanding of grace. And so uh, there are different things called catechisms that have been used throughout the years. And Heidelberg, the Heidelberg Catechism is one of those, um, where they ask questions of life and give answers that come out of the scriptures, just summarizing biblical truth in such a way. Let me just read this and just to summarize where we are and what we're going to be looking at this next season. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer comes, basically, the only comfort is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The answer goes, keeps going on, that he has, has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil, and he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven, if in fact all things must work together for my salvation." One more, he says, or they keep writing. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. As you know God's redeeming grace, as you know his goodness, as he declares your new identity, does your life look different? Does your life reflect that? Are you living to proclaim his goodness? Are you living for him and not yourself? Because if you aren't, you're missing God's best for us. His purpose for us as his people is to follow him on his mission in this world. That we would know him, that we would understand him, and that we would reflect his goodness and his grace. There really is no purpose and no meaning outside of knowing him. Do you know him? Or are you reflecting him today? Let's pray. God, uh, use uh, your word. I, I thank you for the declaration of who we are, but not because of us, but because of Jesus. And then God, I'm thankful for because of that, you call us to proclaim your goodness, proclaim your excellence, proclaim your worth and your glory. God, I pray that we would become a congregation of people that would do that, that would reflect your goodness to a watching world, that we would reflect what might be unknown to them, that we would make it known, that we would proclaim you. God, thank you for your redeeming work. Thank you for your amazing character. God, I pray that uh, our life would be found in you, that we are living for you and not ourselves. God, challenge us in all sorts of ways. Uh, that we would become more and more in line uh, with your purpose. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.